0: And up next, um, our usual Sunday morning um, engagement with our Sydney correspondent, Katie MacDonald. Good morning, Katie.
1: Good morning, Crystal.
0: How are you? I'm good. I mean, it's, I, I don't think I've, I speak to someone from Sydney, um, regularly on a Sunday morning. So it's really good to <laughs> chat to you. So, Katie, let's start with, yeah. uh, we see the, um, a COVID international operation resulting in Australia's largest drug bust. We're talking about 2.4 tons of cocaine seized, 12 people linked to a Mexican drug cartel arrested. Katie, I can't believe this. This is like a story from the movies. Tell us more. Well, exactly that. As I said, it's like this drug
1: operation or, you know, what actually happened. But, yeah, it could provide the script for a thriller or a movie. So it started last year, at the end of last year in November, the Americans, the U.S. DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, they intercepted over two tons of cocaine off the South American coast. And that was... Cocaine bound for Western Australia. Um, So they seized the drugs offshore. The police then here replaced it with fake cocaine, plaster of Paris um, that they wrapped up, you know, to kind of resemble the real thing, and then dropped it into the ocean. So they dropped it, um, I think it's forty nautical miles, (laughs) because that's important, Crystal, but they dropped that... um, in the ocean, 40 nautical miles west of Perth, and you know, watched it with drones and helicopters. And people from the syndicate made a couple of attempts to retrieve the cargo. They eventually did, and they were arrested. So it's a huge amount. Um, the estimated street value is over a billion dollars, um, Australian dollars. And one uh, bit of information I saw said that it represents about half of Australia's annual consumption of cocaine. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, quite a lot. And, yeah, a big, big coup for the police. As you can well imagine, we've got an enormous coastline. We are an island here. And it's quite a big thing, um, sort of keeping those, well, keeping the borders not just safe, but also controlling the inflow of uh, drugs and mm-hmm. other yeah, illegal A legal thing So There's a big coup They're very happy Um, You know Kind of like Don't mess with us Yeah, We'll (laughs) We'll, deal with you We're going to get you Yeah We will deal with you And Yeah These
0: things can't happen Yeah So it was dubbed Operation Beach And yeah Maybe someone will write The movie script for it I don't know Absolutely I see a 10 part Netflix series Katie I really do <laughs> ah, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But Katie, just on that note, I mean, do you, th- is Australia starting to be used as a transit site? Was this en route to Europe, to Asia? Um, you know, it's just intriguing because we've got the same thing happening here in Cape Town. You know, it's a port city. So there's just all sorts of things and it's becoming, you know, mm. in some a- instances, a transit hub, um, for it to go somewhere else.
1: Look, I think, um, from what I do know that when it comes to transit, not as much in the sense that it's, it's pretty difficult. You know, they're pretty strict. They're quite on, well, as on the ball as one could be. You know, you, you sort of put certain, um, systems or, yeah, anti-drug systems into place and these guys are clever. They're, they're kind of often a step ahead, but there is a market here and, It's definitely a destination point. Um, yeah, drug uses. Yeah, it's not uncommon. And I think that the concern or a lot of the, um, obviously they focus, they don't want to be a, you know, a sort of transit hub. But yeah, there is a concern with, um, being an end importer, you know, an importer of drugs. But look, it's, it is pretty, pretty tight. I mean, things are pretty tight. Security's fairly tight the border officials the security officials the drug enforcement um agencies here the local ones are pretty you know, yeah yeah they, they seem to be together look that's what they that's what they project and i do know that often when we look at these things um okay this is a massive operation i mean yeah over two tons of cocaine yeah over a billion dollars it's big but when you read stories or see or hear of people trying to bring drugs of any sort in and the ways they do, you kind of think, ah, oh, gosh, no, are, are you silly? Because mm. um, they, they do tend to get caught.
0: Hmm. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> no, it's fascinating, yeah. Katie. Katie, hey, so now turning to New Zealand, we see um, the cost of Cyclone Gabriel is expected to exceed $10 billion dollars um, there's also been a state of emergency declared in Vanuatu after a second um, cyclone in a week um, we saw cyclone Kevin and then cyclone Judy really causing havoc there
1: well exactly this just it you know we've had these extreme weather events which I think they you know when um, the weather bureau or newscasters refer to it like that it's kind of yeah, a bit sort of diplomatic an extreme weather event because they're, they're more than extreme but they had that they had cyclone Gabriel in New Zealand and they're looking at yeah costs of over 10 billion dollars with regards to infrastructure there's also all of the farming areas that have been hit and so on but north of New Zealand just under 3,000 kilometers north is Vanuatu and that's mm. small um, yeah it's a very small country it consists of about 13 islands. Population of 300,000, but very, very prone. Well, considered by the United Nations, they've said that it is the most prone to natural disasters or the country most prone to natural disasters. That said, they've experienced more than their fair share lately. So we had this terrible um, cyclone in New Zealand. Then earlier this week, Cyclone Judy, Category 4 in Vanuatu. That was on the Wednesday. On the Friday, Cyclone Kevin. On the Friday morning... The north of Vanuatu um, was hit by a 6.5 magnitude earthquake. So it's, yeah, it's been pretty um, horrendous. And they interviewed some Australian tourists. It's, it's you know, a fairly popular um, destination from here. And they were just saying it was absolutely terrifying. They feared for their lives. And now we've got, thankfully, the Australians and the New Zealanders. And hopefully other countries that will go to their aid with rescue and, you know, sort of clean up operations. But it's, it's pretty horrific. We're just hearing up, you know, one after another of these extreme weather events.
0: Yes. In, in the area. Wow. In fact, Katie, mm. I actually have a really good friend from Cape Town, um, and her daughter moved to Vanuatu, and I stay in touch with her, you know, and then she sends me these pictures of the devastation, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, it was also... Um, yeah, I, like, I, like I literally, I and mean, when she sends it to me, you know, Katie, I'm always like, is this really happening? Um, but now you're just confirming and I, I'm literally after the show, I'm going to send her a message just to check in if she's OK. So can you imagine she moved from yes. Cape Town to Vanuatu for a job with her daughter? Um, and I remember she said that her daughter had to go for specialized swimming lessons in case of a tsunami. And I mm-hmm. think, can that be real? But clearly what you're telling us now, it, it really sounds quite devastating.
1: It certainly is. It certainly is.
0: And then lastly, Katie, we're looking at spears taken by Captain James Cook to be returned to Australia. Um, four spears kept by Cambridge University to be returned to local First Nations people. Wow, an end of a 20-year campaign. That sounds just pretty great news or at least just, you know, recognizing, you know, the return of artifacts because that's, of course, been a big issue here in Africa.
1: Exactly, exactly, and this is just it, you know, you look at sort of historically colonialism and, yeah, sort of movements of people across, um, yeah, the world, and it's not unusual that artifacts were taken, and what's interesting about these particular spears is that there are about 20 of them that were taken, and they were the first artifacts that were taken from here that were properly researched and four of them have survived, and they've been in Cambridge University, one of their museums there. uh, Well, in fact, Trinity College Museum. Now, the local people um, from the area where... Well, they were actually taken from Botany Bay, from where Cook landed. They've been campaigning to get the spears back, and finally, 250 years after they were taken, they're coming back. And they're going to be exhibited in the spot from where they were taken. So that is brilliant. It's brilliant news for the local people. You know, they're having something quite meaningful return to country. But what is so interesting is that, yeah, there's this school of thought. Um, when I say school of thought, I'm referring to certain academics in the UK that feel there's more importance or it's more important to keep them in the UK and that they play more of a part in the history of European settlement or British colonial history in in this instance, because of yeah the fact that they were collected by the colonialists, and one professor actually just referred to them as everyday ob- um, everyday sorry objects
0: hmm.
1: you know from the local population,
0: wow,
1: but serious artifacts for the collector so Yes, yeah, you can well imagine, and it's, I know that it's going on throughout many parts of Africa and South Africa. Yes, yeah, it's this question over artefacts and um, how important they are, not just you know, historically but culturally, to the places from you know, whence they were taken.
0: Mm. Thank you for your insights, Katie MacDonald, um, our Sydney correspondent, giving us some insights to what's happening um, in Australia and New Zealand.